Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Owl Watchers podcast, the show where we take a look at the latest news, Overwatch League matchups, meta reports, and more. I'm your host, Dr. Grimm. And I'm Tricky Zerg. And today we've got a really exciting show on the air for you. If you followed the first week of the Summer Showdown uh, in the past weekend, you might be a little bit surprised by some of the team compositions that you saw run. Uh, some of the matchup results. I know that the common trend on Twitter is uh, pickums and shambles at this given time. I know for a fact that mine kind of got destroyed. My prediction certainly sort of went out the window. Uh, I'm not sure about you, Tricky. Yeah, you for might sure, yeah. 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 So uh, we're definitely been covering a lot of that. But first, you know, right off the top, we've had some major news this week in the Overwatch League. Uh, Tricky, what, what do you think? All right, well, a new signing for NYXL, Kalios coming in from O2 Ardient, uh, previously teammates with Yakpung on that team. So definitely a player to look out for coming in. Bianca has been very underwhelming on the NYXL, uh, aside from those scrim results we got early in the season. Um, I'm excited to see Kalios. I think he could do really well. Uh, I, I have been watching a bit of a stream, kind of like what I said about Sparker last week's episode. Um, I think he's a really strong player. I think he looks really flexible. Uh, I'm excited to see how he does in the Overwatch League. I'm also really looking forward to seeing how he plays. For those of you fans who've been following Overwatch League since the inaugural season, uh, you might know Kalios as the off-tank on Boston Uprising who didn't really get playtime over note. Now, a large part of that was because for the majority of the season, up until stage four, we were in a D.Va meta, and of course, Note was arguably the better D.Va at the time, which I'm happy to say, uh, looking to you know see Canadian representation in the Overwatch League. But Kalios was specifically there to play the Zarya hero, and for a brief time, back when you could damage boost the dragons, and we had the Grav Dragon Rhine meta in late stage four, he did get some playtime. And, you know, he wasn't the most impressive, but I think that's partially due to the fact that Boston as a team was underperforming relative to where they were during stage two and three, when they were really going under such a hot streak when they had Gamsu and Stryker on the dive tanks. So I'm also really interested, I guess, uh, you could say, to see Kali's return. Again, I think that he did have a sort of a resurgence on O2 in the contender scene. But of course, contenders to the Overwatch League doesn't always translate effectively. And, you know, whether or not he's improved, because definitely the, the median skill of the League has certainly gone up since Season 1. You know, how he fits in, that's going to be a really big question. Now, from what I've been reading about Kalios, I understand that he's a very big calmer. And apparently the New York Excelsior has been struggling with calm structure, where Yakpung has to focus on both his mechanics as a main tank, but also shot calling. And Tricky, as a main tank player... I imagine you've found that kind of difficult in the past, right? When you're really focusing on trying to live through all the aggro the enemy team's giving you, but then also, you know, having to tell the team what to do. So mm. I would imagine that would help. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, th I think being a team leader is really important, but also having that role distributed among the team is also really important. Uh, every team has a different system. Obviously, uh, the main tank usually is known for that leader slash shot caller kind of role. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Kalios in the roster. I, th I think New York could have a little uprising here. Get it? <laughs> um, and funny fact that we're always covering these Boston players and there's more to go in the future of this episode. Oh, for sure. And then for me, the other big question mark would just be whether or not he has a diva in his hero pool. But I guess we will uh, wait to see because I imagine with such a recent pickup there, certainly I expect that we're going to see him play not this week, obviously, because New York doesn't have games, but 
most likely next week, I imagine we'll see him start. And uh, I, for one, am looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. But what else happened this week? Um, you want to cover the checkmate one? Because I'm not too sure what's going on here. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. So for those of you who were on Twitter this afternoon, you might have seen an announcement from Albert Yeh, uh, manager of the Florida Mayhem. And he was saying that checkmate is going to become the new starting main tank for the team. And that confused a lot of people at first. You know, there was a lot of questions and responses asking, is he trolling? Is this some sort of joke? Because in my opinion, and I think the opinion of a lot of watchers, OG has been pretty solid this season. Um, obviously, Florida in the past two stages hasn't been doing as well as they did during the main melee when they made the, the run to Hawaii and, you know, were really kind of contesting that top of the NA. But in every game, they still look competitive. You know, they've had tough strength of schedule. They've been going up against Shock and Washington and Dallas. You know, tough teams like that who really give them a run for their money. But they never look bad, and they still have incredible talent. But that being said, the stats don't lie. And outside of the really kind of rough-shaped teams, you know, the Vancouver's and the likes of those, they do have the worst record of all kind of the heavyweight teams in the league. So I imagine at that point... Uh, you're kind of wondering, can we change something up? What do we need to do? And here you've got this very mechanically skilled player, Checkmate on the bench, right? And we even saw him play Echo last week, which is a hero that oftentimes is going to clone to those tank heroes. So it sort of makes sense that you might allocate resources in that direction to see what it can do. That being said, uh, palms, that could be a big issue. We don't know how their palm structure works, what OG brings to the table as an in-game leader. Uh, how that's going to be affected. And of course, as well, it kind of reminds me of Hydration on Houston Outlaws last year when he went from being that expected projectile DPS specialist to the main tank player to replace Muma. So I'm personally really curious to see how this plays out. Uh, Florida's got two very tough games this week. They're up against Washington and they're up against the Dallas Fuels. So it's really going to be trial by fire for Checkmate, who's going to be going up against Fearless and Mag, two very prolific main tank players. But Nevertheless, I'm very excited to see how he does. What do you think of that one, Tricky? You sure it's not just like a Twitter troll from yeah? Like, I mean... No, no, it's confirmed really? legit. OG even tweeted BRB oh, after. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, I didn't see the tweet myself. I didn't witness it, but that's a little bit of a surprise. I do agree. Like, Hydration did sort of fill that role in Season 3 um, as the main tank uh, covering Muma. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I, I hope he... The, he does a serviceable job. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so, obviously, it makes me a bit concerned for OG as well, right? Because every year, everyone's saying, no, this is going to be OG's year. He's finally got a team around him. You know, in, in season two, season one, everyone blamed Dallas and the management. You know, season three, everyone pointed fingers at Big Goose and Shaz, the support on LA Gladiators, who gave OG, I think it was like the third lowest healing in the league of all main tanks or something like that. And this year, everyone's like, well, now he's got this whole Korean roster around him. He's got a great backline, Gangnam Jin and Slime, you know, great off-tank Gargoyle, do good DPS, right? Yaki, BQB. And so for him not to be performing at this stage, that's kind of uh, alarm bells going off in my head. Yeah. And personally, I don't think he's played too badly, but they talked about it being the most convenient solution at this given time. How have you felt about OG's performance this yeah, you, 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 you say he hasn't played too badly, but like I've been watching the replay viewer and looking at how Mayhem like work around their DPS players and which really are their star talent at the moment, especially Yaki. Um and there's all the like the link that the weak link is always OG. He's often dying first, uh, out of position or 
too aggressive. It seems to be similar mistakes from the past creeping up. Um, I, I mean, he looked decent in the in the main melee uh, at the start of the season, but it, there's been more of a downwards trend, and I don't think it's all his fault because it, it really can't be. I think BQBs might have been underperforming a bit. I also think... Um, I'm not a big fan of the the slime brig, if I'm going to be completely honest. I feel like he's kind of a Lucio one-trick at this point. Um, and even though Chris last season uh, was filling in that that brig and, uh, and bap roll, uh, he was extremely underrated. And pe- people shouted him because he was so bad at Lucio and, and Mercy. Um, they wanted him out, and he got out. And we're, we're with Slime now, who was on Vancouver Titans, but I... I'm just not that impressed if I'm going to be completely honest with OG at the moment. I, I would agree as well. I think it's partially systemic. I think to be fair, the main tank is often going to look bad when there's team miscoordination, mm-hmm. but I think that could be the problem. We see OG trying to play this more aggressive style. It's very reminiscent of season one fissure. And in some ways it looks like fearless on the Dallas field, but I think that OG is not quite getting the same amount of resources committed. When we look at someone like fearless, who's got ridiculous healing stats behind him from the likes of fielder who is doing like 22k healing on Moria Pretend or some ridiculous number like that. You could say he's uh, fielding those stats. He is fielding those stats, <laughs> but it's going to be very difficult to yeah. stay alive comparatively if those numbers mm-hmm. aren't quite the same. And that's no slight to the team. I think that at that level, these players, they're all very good, but I think something hasn't quite clicked. And they even said that OG is still going to be getting a certain time and they're going to try and reintegrate him in a certain way. But sometimes I think a change of pace can be really good. And I'm just more curious than anything to really see how this plays out this coming week and yeah what, what else happened though uh other news hydration getting released from the houston outlaws um a flex dps player he's been playing since season one he's been commonly known for his pure projectile um mainly his farah i can say his doomfist as well and he's flexed around i've seen him play a bit of may in season three there was at some point he was playing some reaper um, but it seems like over the seasons, he's just received less and less playtime. Uh, I feel like it could be pretty impactful, especially if we go into a Farah meta. Uh, not being able to have hydration could be pretty significant since their DPS line is sick with Dante and Happy, but then who covers the Farah? I would agree with that. I feel with hydration that I've always seen him sort of as this jack-of-all-trades, master of none, even when he was back on the LA Gladiators. You know, when we looked at the old battles of LA, we'd see hydration often get diffed by Agilities, who's a very explosive, mechanically talented projectile player, but, you know, did not necessarily have the same kind of game sense and team style. I see hydration sort of as this glue player who really fits in and enables his team very effectively. Kind of like a Libero, right? Exactly, yeah. right? I think Libero is very good, though. I think Libero is better, but still, I feel like Houston sort of lost out on letting Hydration go, and I do hope that this was more on Hydration's end, this decision, rather than Houston and the coaching and the management saying that we don't need him anymore. Now, to be fair, we haven't seen him play on his actual role recently. I think we saw him very briefly in the playoffs last year, where Houston proceeded to lose to Boston while trying to play double off tank Farah, and everyone was really shocked and instantly failed their predictions, uh, if, for those of you who were following that at the time. But for the most part, you know, we haven't seen him play. So I personally can't comment fairly on whether or not he's competing at that level that Houston needs him to be at, given the kind of upsurge in capability that we've seen with Houston Outlaws this season. 
that being said, I don't really see who's going to fill in that projectile role, you know, to play the heroes like Farrah, to play the Doomfist. And I think it's really valuable to have kind of a player like that on your bench, just practicing those heroes, grinding those heroes so that you have the pocket pick. You know, when you get to the map 5 cost map and you want to pull out something different, or, you know, the meta changes suddenly and you just want to be kind of the curve. And you listeners might be like, but Grim, they have KSF, and he can play projectile. And it's true, and I think KSF is a good player, but at the same time, I feel like KSF is more of kind of a hit scan, you know, sniper, detracer, specialist. He doesn't really play those projectile heroes in the same way. So should the meta kind of branch into a situation like that where they need someone to play Farah, the Doomfist, you know, those heroes, and keep talking with them, I'm not really sure who's going to be the one to do it on that team. Maybe Dante, maybe KSF. <laughs> Jake. Or maybe the, yeah, or Jake, yeah, we'll that's see. true. They could put Jake on that, I suppose. Potentially. But, um, I, I don't trust the pick, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't entirely trust that either. And, um, you know, again, they, they probably know something that we don't. But on paper, at least, I'm not completely enthused by this decision. All right. Well, on to other news. Takoyaki getting released from the Spark. He's played, I think, only one match with them this season. And it was at the very start where they looked very poor. And those scrim rumors of them being like shitting the bed were kind of proven true. He looked okay. I want. I don't want to say he looked terrible, but the whole team looked bad. You know, um, there was a lot of hype for him coming into the season. Apparently, from Rush, I uh, said the best main tank player in the league. Apparently, he was hyping up to that extent, right? Uh, I think we didn't really get to see that yet. There's rumors he might go to the NYXL, which could be a pretty big pickup potentially, since the tank line has been known to not work so well at the moment and be the mostly for the most part the weak link i will mention that friday hasn't looked too hot on picks other than brig either um but we'll see where he goes uh what are your thoughts on you know this is a bit of a strange one for me at the beginning of the season when hongzhou was attempting to build their 12-man roster half chinese half green i was really confused by the direction they were going and of course a lot of fans of contenders who, who knew takoyaki who saw him play were very excited to see him in the Overwatch League. And of course, like you said, Rush gave him that huge vouch. And I mean, Rush, coach of Dallas Fuel, the very man who's literally coaching Fearless, who's an MVP contender at this point in the season. And he's saying that Takayaki is the best main tank in the league. So that was a lot of high praise and a lot of pressure going in on him. And, you know, some people were wondering, is he going to replace Gushway? Um, you know, how is he going to fit into this team? But no, he sort of just didn't really get a chance. You know, there's the whole coaching debacle where it really just looked like Hangzhou was missing an identity, and their latest resurgence, of course, has been on the back of Gushui on the main tank. So I can understand why they want to release him. You know, maybe they're paying him a pretty high salary or something like that. Or maybe they've just realized that running this one lineup is going to be the play. Um, having a backup main tank, you know, I feel as though it's not always the best thing, just because I feel like main tank has such a calm, heavy role. But really, you don't want to be switching your main tank in and out too, too often. Obvious exception being kind of the San Francisco shock, at least traditionally on paper. And we'll get to that later in the podcast, because I know what you guys are about to say to me saying that. But um, I can understand why they would release him. I, I would like to see him get a second chance, just because I want to see more of him in the league. Um, and, you know, for those of you listening, please don't say, oh, Grim, he should just go to Florida and replace Checkmate, because, you know, NA visas aren't that easy to procure. And uh, Green's playing to NA on ping just sounds like a recipe for a bad time. But I don't think we saw enough of him to really, at least for me, make a fair judgment on his playstyle. 
Um, but given the praise, I really would like to see if he could just live up to that just to kind of satiate my own personal curiosities. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, All right. shall we transition to where we left off last week? All right, let's take a look at what aged well and what didn't age well <laughs> yeah. from what we talked about last week. You want to go first? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I left a comment on the last video right after the first London game. It was London versus Paris where London, they take the first map. They look very confident, very strong. Like they look like a new London, kind of like I predicted a bit, you know, we predicted, you know. Uh, map two, really good as well. I believe it was um, Hollywood and they got they they were on defense first right they held first uh, almost holding first but they ended up holding second pretty close up to um and then they just shot the bed on the attack and i felt like that that was the momentum swing in the series paris took that map it went 1-1 and then they lost the next two and it was a 3-1 for paris props to paris though for the comeback um i'm not sure exactly what happened uh, to the London roster, but um, on review and on their next match, which is a shock where they traded blows, it seemed like they started to get a footing. I did predict the shock. I thought the shock were maybe going to look a little more comfortable after their Glads match, but shock also looking pretty shaky at times. Uh, what is your opinion on this London team at the moment, Grim? Um... They, they confuse me. They're an enigma. Obviously, on day one, when they lost to Paris, it was a lot of doom and gloom. You know, we had Spilo apologizing on Twitter, saying that the loss was all his fault. He should have done a better job getting the team ready. And everyone was all on board the bandwagon saying, oh, London's done. You know, that was the match that they had to win this season. You know, they're going to they're gonna get one win over Vancouver. That's going to be it. Um, but as it turned out, Paris may, in fact, just be a really good team right now. And uh, we'll, we'll approach that again later. But I do think that Sparker has breathed some new life into the team, and they do have their moments. Obviously, they played a surprisingly close series against San Francisco Shock. Uh, I personally thought it would have been really funny for London to win that game, so I was really kind of hoping they'd win that final round on Nepal, and I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't quite get there. But I feel like on the back of that, um, the players are going to feel pretty encouraged. You know, now they've got a week off to really get ready for those next games in week three of the Summer Showdown. So, you know, I haven't given up hope on them yet. Do I think they're top contenders, you know, even season? I don't think they can make the playoffs at this point, but I still do think that they should be able to be competitive. I think that, you know, you were right, Tricky, in saying that Sparker can be a really big difference maker. And I think slowly but surely they're going to get there. So I'm I'm really curious to see how they're going to finish the stage, you know, if they can finish strong. I believe they are playing Vancouver next week, so that should be on paper at least a win in the bag for them. But, you know, uh, the match isn't played on paper. It's played in reality, and we'll just have to kind of see how they... Uh, well, how they what they make of it to add to that I, f I feel like the maps that they also lost they might have um i won't say misread the strategy but they were running something i i would say was unoptimal they had blase in over shacks who i think they should really just have shacks and sparker in like pretty much 24 7 unless they want to run brawl with the may where blase is actually pretty decent um otherwise yeah uh, blase echo yeah you don't need to force it, guys. Just just run your tracer stuff and run Sparker on his scan or Hanzo. You know the the kid's clapping, like he's doing work. And and uh, Shax, who looked kind of weak actually, like a bottom three tracer at the start of the season, coming back into shape, looking really good, especially on that Hollywood map on their defense. 
Um, and all the other players having their highlight moments, Hadi made MTDing a super uh, on one of the Nepal points, uh, Nepal rounds, and uh, as well as Mulfig having his moments. Um, I there was even a moment like I was watching the uh, the shock series as well uh, in the brawl mirror. Uh, Kalex managing to keep up an alt charge with FD God. I was kind of impressed by that. I always thought he was like super weak link on that team, but he's looking better. Um, and oh yeah, I, I can't forget about Reaper because that guy's impressed as well. He, he was looking like a bottom feeder flex support and all of a sudden he's playing well again. So definitely a lot of props to the coaching staff. Uh, I got to mention Spilo again, probably bring new energy and new ideas into the team uh, and reviving them a bit. Uh, shall we cover Shock now with the Ons pickup from last week? Oh, yeah. Well, for those of you who listened to our first episode last week, you you heard our obvious type at the return of Ons, this legendary hitscan player. Um, I personally think that it's not that he didn't live up to the hype this week, but Shock as a unit just played pretty poorly. Now, that being said, I did watch the replay, you know, of him play. And I gotta say, he looks a little bit slow. You know, his movement isn't quite as clean. You know, it just looks like, you know, he doesn't, he's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of some of the macro decisions and stuff like that. And I think that's why we saw him play a little bit more on day one. And then in the London series, completely, we just didn't seem to show up to play. It was Glister starting on the McCree the whole time. You know, Glister on the hitscan, Ons just didn't get put in. And so I have to wonder if, you know, Ons wasn't feeling it, or maybe Krusty and Ashok were like, let's just go with something we're more comfortable with while we kind of boot camp you and get you up to speed. But I know a lot of people were a little bit underwhelmed by that and a little bit sad to see uh, such a hero like Ons not quite come out at the level that he exited the Overwatch League at. But I wouldn't write him off completely, you know. There's still time for him. But I think as a whole, Ashok has looked pretty rough. Uh, we kind of got our, an our question answered when we were wondering who's going to fill the big shoe set striker left to fill in the tracer slot with uh, glister slotting in right there um and he's playing the Kree in the brawl right now which is also what striker was doing early in the season and he looks okay i mean his mechanics are good um it's very hard to be striker and no one can really expect a duplicate performance of that but i think the weaknesses of shock aren't necessarily glister being on that role but just them as a team fd god still has a habit kind of getting caught out of position he looks desynced Shock is making really weird rotations where at one point they're playing Lucio on a monkey and they've got Violet on the Lucio and he yeah. just looked vile on the Lucio. That was uh, not a great look for them. And I understand that they want to play him on Brig and stuff like that because him and Twilight are probably arguably better Brig players, at least mechanically, than FD and they can call him in Korean. But there's been that. Um, you know, then there's this weird like confusion between the Brawl style and the Winston style. Where I think they're personally their lineup with Smurf has looked a lot better. Their brawl has just looked very, very weak this past week, which is strange because this is the team that was contesting top of the world in the GOATS meta up against the old Vancouver roster, you know, under Super on the main tank role, right? You know, under Troy on the off tank. And the fact that they're struggling to brawl against teams like London, who've looked so weak at the stage, it's just raised a lot of question marks. Uh, I know a lot of Fairweather Shock fans have probably uh, jumped ship. Maybe they've gone over to Dallas or Shanghai at this point because they want to support for a team that can win. They expect Shock to consistently be at the top level, you know, contesting the three-peat, and that somehow Nero, FD God, and the likes of the new players should seamlessly replace their old counterparts. I don't think that's particularly fair. I think that we still need to give them time to reintegrate, and I do trust in Coach Krusty's process to kind of put things back together. 
But I will say that in Shock's current form, they are not looking like contenders at all for a Hawaii seed this tournament. Definitely. Uh, on the point about the Mercy uh, Lucio for Violet, uh, fun fact, actually won both of the maps that they did that against London, uh, which is strange. Uh, and I think it caused problems further down in the season because uh, like it's a team right and if you don't have like a pretty much dedicated starting six you're looking at fd guy and you're like what really is his role is his role just lucio you know like it's not a great look and another thing to add is the smurf and super swaps it feels like they have or, or they don't have but they're missing a leader and every time they're like the series goes to map five they swap super in and they i won't say they start winning convincingly but there seems to be a little more organization, even though, like you said, their brawl doesn't look too great either. And Super has been playing, or sorry, Smurf has been playing really, I won't say out of his mind, but at times it looks like he's trying his best to carry uh, and it still doesn't matter, you know? Um, so maybe getting boomed a bit. Um, hopefully they're able to find a footing, uh, but for now it's looking a little desperate. And I think a last point to make for the shock as well. For those of you wondering about the main tank rotation, why it's not working right now. In the past, when we've seen, like last year, when we saw stages with hero bands and so forth, we saw those main tanks switching on a stage-by-stage -stage basis, not on a per-match basis. And now Super and Smurf are alternating within the same game. And I imagine that because the team isn't used to scrimming, um, well, in the past at least, they've scrimmed where they've kind of just gotten used to the playstyle of a main tank over a given period of time. Now it's multiple swaps within the same game. I feel like that's only going to make it harder for the players to adjust on the fly. And obviously they're pros and stuff like that. But for those of you wondering why, you know, the Super and Smurf rotation isn't working as effectively as it did in the past, I would posit that as a theory for why they might be struggling a little bit more than they did in the past. All right. Paris and Boston? Stonks? Question mark? Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, those were the real winners of last week. And right here, right now, I'm going to take a moment to gloat. Because all, for the record, if you go back and listen to the podcast, my predictions for exciting games would be Paris versus Gladiators and Boston versus Florida. Oh, man. Mostly because Tricky chose the obvious ones. Yeah, but I was proven right. Two absolute firecrackers of a match. Paris, the reverse sweep against LA Gladiators. Who saw that coming? And Boston taking down Florida and actually looking genuinely good. Uh, they've been pleasant surprises at the stage and honestly think they could be real dark horse contenders for potential play-in spots to at least contest Hawaii. What, what do you think? Now, I love to hype up Boston, but remember what happened in the second tournament cycle? They went up two, two games. Uh, they were, like, ahead of the meta with their double shield shenanigans when everybody was playing this Moira Brawl comp, and then they lost the next two after. Or they only lost one? I'm not sure. But they didn't have a great performance afterwards. And they tried to swap it up to that style. Not looking too great. I'd like to give a huge shout out to Punk. Who's been playing full time at the moment on that roster. I think we saw Gable see maybe one map on Zarya. On Gibraltar. Didn't look great. I think it was a versus Vancouver. That's the map that they lost to. But... Um, Definitely looking strong, looking to be a little bit of ahead of the meta. Uh, seems like a lot of teams are running this rush style with the Reinhardt, May Cree, Diva, Lucio Bap. I remember mentioning in the last podcast that it could be a very good option into the Moira rush. And we'll touch up upon that 
a little further in the podcast about why why now we think the Mario Rush didn't work so well with the Winston. Um, and it mainly has to do with the, the alt charge nerf. Um, but definitely a favorable matchup into that comp. And a lot of people are mirroring at the moment. I think it could evolve into another uh, dive meta though, as we did see a lot of Ana Brig, but uh, there's potential for ball still. And on wider maps, the brawl shouldn't work as well. Touching up on Paris though, uh, very creative team. I like all of their different looks. Uh, they look very good. Anything you have to add to that? Um, I just think that I'm, I'm just genuinely impressed by how seamlessly they've been able to slot in through the roster changes with you know, Neptuno leaving and being replaced by Dredro and Vestal coming in to replace Elivote, who's out injured. Uh, it's just genuinely impressive. Oh, and on top of that, for those of you who follow the manager of Paris, Avala, on Twitter, she literally tweeted that the main tank, Dawn, didn't actually get to scrim with them for the majority of time. You know, they had a bunch of ringers coming in, Ben Best, LH Cloudy, even some NA players like Akash to fill in. And the fact that they still looked that good and that coordinated, I think is a testament to the potential of that team. And I'm just really excited to see where they go. And I think it might even be time to start talking about Get Amazed as an amazing coach. Oh, yeah, for sure. You see that clip that Get Amazed posted with his halftime speech against the Glads? Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely very inspirational. Uh, we'll insert it right now. Listen, I know like now it's looked tough because like we, we keep losing, losing, losing in fights, fight after fight or whatever. I feel like now we are like basically like a little bit like doubting and we feel like they are like too tough or anything. I just want you guys to like believe in ourselves once again, okay guys? We are fucking amazing. Everyone expected to do like every single match and now we are going in hard, okay? It's not over. It's only 0-2 guys. We can still do something about it, okay boys? I know it's tough. I know like we are all doubting. I know like we are not in the base condition or whatever. We don't give a single fuck. We are fucking warriors and we're not gonna go in, okay? All of us, okay boys? Yeah. So let's raise up the energy right now guys and we're gonna fuck them up, okay? All of them. We don't give a single fuck about who they are, okay guys? Okay. Let's go boys, let's go. Let's go. Inspirational and, and definitely uh, like something that brought them back into that series that looked very losable because Glads were rolling them for the first two maps. They look lost on what comps uh, should they should play against them. Th yeah, they look very lost. Um, they start, and then Onigod started playing Tracer on Route 66 and then something clicked and then this, the series just went to their favor. It just went to their hands. Uh, Gliders banging their head against the wall, playing the same stuff, playing the same styles. They're, they weren't adapting their teamwork. Even from the start, I will say, I don't think it was very good. Paris, bringing it back. Yeah, you've got to admire their mentals. And another team, while we're on this series and we're on the topic of teams bouncing back, this week, we saw a resurgent soul playing in the APEC region. And we sort of touched on that last week, you know, the firecrackers of a game between Hangzhou and Seoul and Chengdu and Seoul. And personally, you know, I talk about, you know, profit and fits being people to see, but also insistency of gesture, insistency of gesture. Well, Seoul sort of worked their way around that, just decided to play Marvel. And they looked really, really good. They actually played the Brawl style with Marvel on the Reinhardt. Profit, as per usual, was kind of destroying people. Human Fit did a little bit of musical DPS, where at one point, you know, we saw Profit on the hit scan, and that still looked good as well. They just looked angry. They looked like the world beaters that Soul has always supposed to be since, you know, day one of that Dallas Fuel versus Soul game back in season one of the Overwatch League. And I'm not going to say, oh, no, they're a top team now. They've got big games this week. They're playing Shanghai 
on Saturday, and they still have to play Guangzhou on Sunday, and, you know, they're supposed to beat Guangzhou. Shanghai should be close, so we'll see how they do. I really hope that they keep Marvel in, though. I think they look a lot better with him. I love good old Swaggy V, Mr. Gesture himself, but I think they keep him as a specialist for when the meta suits him. They just seem to be a lot more organized with Marvel, and um, I think this could be their stage. Definitely. All right, well, that would make a good transition to the players we're impressed by, and I just want to touch up on Marvel again. Like, where is this guy, dude? They bring him in, and all of a sudden they're performing, and they look consistent, and they look like they're ahead of the metagame. They're playing Brawl into the, all these other teams, and they know their win conditions too, and, and Marvel's just slotting in very well. I'm not going to say he's perfect, but he's doing a very, very good job. Uh, definitely more consistent than Gesture has looked. And I'm excited for their, their future prospects and matches. I think the more they run Marvel and the longer he is in the lineup with Tuyu, the more consistent their front line is going to look and the more consistent Soul is going to look. And that's the issue we've had with them for most of the season is they just don't look consistent, even though they're like, they were a 6-2 and two, two team before... Uh, these two matches that they won here. Uh, so Just don't run Marvel and Gesture. That's yeah, a just, disaster. Just don't do that, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. Any, any, you, would you like to uh, talk on the players you were impressed by, uh, specifically the ones from Boston? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, for talking, both my picks this week for, you know, players that obviously beyond the obvious picks of people who stand out, I was really impressed by Stand 1, firstly on the main tank wall for Boston. Uh, obviously, he played against Vancouver last week, and you know, everyone's like, oh, Vancouver's not that good. Of course, he's going to roll the team. But he kind of hit some big shatters on the Reinhardt. And for me, that was kind of... Uh, and the fact that he played Reinhardt against Florida, against OG, you know, where they did the Torb straps, uh, really good defense. They played very clean, some good mechanical showings, a lot of discipline, especially when he's playing that Reinhardt without the, the Lucio. I kind of saw him as maybe an Arista specialist with, of course, you know, the typical Korean backup pool of a ball in a Winston. I didn't really expect the Ryan though. And I think that he could genuinely be one of the better Korean Ryan players. And all around, he's looked pretty solid on the main tank this past week. Um, obviously, they'll have bigger games coming up for the rest of the stage. But I'm casually optimistic that we continue to see good things from stand one. And I'm really interested to see uh, whether he can continue that form. But I think the real talking point of that Boston Uprising roster has to be I-37, Mr. Speedrunner of the Path to Pro himself. Now, obviously... Back in Season 2, when he came into Toronto late on, as Toronto was transitioning from a Korean roster to a North American roster, he came in as a hit-scan player. He looked okay, um, but he, he was very hyped up. I think he didn't quite live up to the hype as this amazing ladder player who was discovered, you know, with the likes of XQC, clicking heads, crazy Widowmaker, and um, I don't know. It just wasn't quite as enthralling as I had hoped. But then again, Toronto as a whole wasn't looking too good at the time. Now, though, he's back with a vengeance. Even in those matchups we've seen earlier in the season, uh, when he's playing against people like Bird Ring, you know, these top-tier elite hit scans, he's just killing people on McCree left, right, and center. We saw Diff BQB this week, who, again, has been known to be a standout hit scan player. I'm just really excited by this guy. Uh, I really want to see if he can continue the form. And I feel like, in some ways, he's better Jerry. And with all due respect to Jerry... Whenever we see him on the Justice, he just looks okay. You know, he's no decay. Yeah, he clicks some heads. He's got some good mechanics, but I'm just never too impressed by him. But I'm 37 kind of, I think, is the real deal. He's not just, you know, a good player on a struggling team. He's on a team that's fighting to improve, but he's always looked like that hot frag player. 
He finds the picks when the team needs it the most, gets the dead eyes when the team needs it the most. His screen is really, really good. I'm really hoping that we continue to see more good things out of him in the coming weeks. Just don't put him on Summer Tracer. Yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do you've, that. Got, you've got other players for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'd like to touch up on Aspire, who I was also really impressed by. Um, Toronto Defiant playing in a close series versus the Mayhem. Uh, and all the way to a map five, honestly, they should have lost it. But Aspire keeping them in the game, the American talent, the American rookie, heck even, coming into the Overwatch League uh, last stage when Hisu was sick. And he is proving himself. He was playing over Logics on the Tracer. He was typically known more as like the pure hit scan type player, like similar time, 37, I guess, in that regard. He is showing a lot of flexibility he played doomfist as well and just overall he's filling that slot really well he's clutching when there needs to be clutch and definitely prospect to look forward to in the upcoming matches and hopefully he can continue that level of performance um, i've generally been pretty impressed by that and definitely a player to look out for yeah no i would absolutely agree with that he took away player of the match some people thought that he kind of had that one-trick wonder performance against Glister when he first played in that defeat that Toronto suffered at the hands of Shock in Stage 2, but he's really proved that I think he deserves his shot in the Overwatch League. He's put consistent performances alongside Hisu. Well, personally, I'm a little bit sad that we don't get to see Logix play more, because I do think that Logix is a very, very good player. I am quite excited to see what Aspire can continue to do, as well as how well he represents someone who's ran the path from contenders to Overwatch League and kind of made good on his opportunity to play. So uh, kudos to him. Let's see if he can keep it up. All right. Meta-analysis. Um, you want to touch up on the, the lot of the Brig and the Ryan we've been seeing? Oh, boy. Yeah. So, for the you know, everyone talks about the class pairing. You know, you've got your Reinhardt, your Diva, your Makri, and your Lucio, maybe the Batiste. Classic brawl. Very flexible, well-rounded, good shielding, good low to high, a good win condition, good ults across the board. This week, we saw a very interesting variation being played. We saw Braid with Ryan, and we haven't seen those two heroes really play in the same team comp back since the Goats meta, when of course you could have three supports and three tanks on the field, so it didn't really matter because you still had Brig Lucio anyway. Um... It's very interesting to me that teams are playing this, and I sort of see it as a big counter strat to those Winston pops. I think this was well demonstrated during the Florida versus Boston game, where Boston ran the Brig Ryan with the Torbjorn as a deterrent against the flanky style and the Winston style that we saw Florida trying to play. And I think it's really, really effective in a lot of those situations where you have attack advantage, because if you're walking into the enemy team and you set up you're the Winston, you're the ball on the other team, you're just like, oh shit, if I go in, I'm gonna get fucking blown up by a million aspects of CC, and it's just gonna be a really bad time. And so it holds space really, really well, and I think it has a good niche on offense. But the issue is, whenever we see it locked on defense, I, I sort of think to myself, well, why doesn't the enemy team just run Lucio and mirror the brawl? And we saw Florida sort of attempt to do that in the series, and I keep picking on this as an example, but it kind of proves my point because it actually did work very effectively. Your ability to peel for your Ryan when you're running the Brig 
Bogdan Lucio isn't so good. Brig doesn't do very well into Reinhardt. If you walk up to the Reinhardt and you try to proc conspire, the Reinhardt's gonna look at you little mace to the face, laugh, and hit you with a giant hammer with rocket propellers on the back. That does a lot of damage and really cleaves through your inspire very, very effectively. So I think it can be played in situations where the enemy team isn't really allowed to switch because they've had to pick their heroes first. But as, or as a counter comp, but as soon as the enemy team starts to mirror the better brawl, you really start to see the wheels fall off the um, off the locomotive in a case like that, and uh, the comp kind of goes at the window. But also, I think it's sort of like a byproduct of the meta not really settling. And we talked about this last week, how some teams ran the Orisa with more of Brig in stage 2 as a deterrent to the Neo Goats Winston style. And I kind of see this comp in a similar light, where it's an obvious on-paper deterrent, but at that point, you know, I feel that the Rhine is just standing there, giant rectangle man with a shield where you could just be running Arissa and have a fusion driver that's a lot of damage, or, you know, you could just clean up your brawl to the point where you could still run it with Lisu anyway into that matchup. Um, I don't expect it to stick around through the stage. I think it's sort of a band-aid patch to the fact that teams are still trying to poke and figure out what's going to work, what isn't going to work. But it was interesting to see that kind of playstyle. What, what did you think of it? Definitely hard to agree. We also saw a lot of tour embedded in uh, with the Ryan and the Brig alongside it. Um, it seems just to be a counter comp, like you said, to the dive, to the popular dive. Um, yeah, just solid counter comp. It's being played well. Remember, counter comp is a counter comp, but execution still matters in the end. If you don't execute, it doesn't matter. It all seemed like uh, uh, Mayhem's hand was forced a lot just to mirror the brawl in that series versus Boston. And every time they did that, they just lost. So Boston showing like, showing that style to be quite effective as a counter cop. We'll see in the coming weeks. Um, yeah. I would agree with shall that. We, shall we I... uh, talk about the Brig on a backline with Dive now? Yeah. So we predicted last week that we would see a lot of six men with Lucio Mora. Um, well, we haven't seen those top Winston teams. Dallas. Uh, Washington Justice, we haven't seen them play yet. It's possible to play them. Uh, we may have overestimated just how much that whole uptime nerf of 17% has really impacted it. You know, we talked about how other comps might have a better chance against it because the coal doesn't come up so quickly, so the alt cycle slows down a little bit in that first fight situation. But I, I might, I, I would believe that at this point, Overwatch League coaches who are sitting in these scrims, these blocks a day, have determined that that value that you get from that isn't greater than just the consistent backline staying power that is the Brig Ana. And obviously, it's very, very good. You sacrifice a support ult, but you get great utility out of Rally. That's almost a guaranteed fight win once that armor stacks up. Nano is probably better, I'd say, than Bull in terms of building team ult charge, because you just send in the Winston, and it creates so much space and opportunity and pocket angles for your DPS just to go in and farm the ult cycle. It's really, really scary. You build Primal with it as well, and it's just really, really good at anchoring down map positions. So it may be for a fact that just the more nerf which is slightly too much to really keep her in, though we did see a little bit of more this week. But also maybe just the fact that the Onenbrig backline does better into Rhine comps, because with all these teams playing the Brawl style, I would argue that having the Ana just sit uncontested on the high ground is going to be much more effective than Amora, who has to consistently use Fade to stay out of reach of the Rhine Hammer, Maywalls, and gets the orbs consistently eaten by the Diva. So I think the prevalence of Brawl is also contributing to the downfall of the six-men comp. I personally still think it has a niche on those control maps, but 
Uh, I may have been wrong, and I will admit it. I will eat crow. I may have mispredicted what the meta is going to be, and I think there is a complete uh, viable claim that we're going to see more of the break on a back line with the Monkey Kong, but specifically with the Diva instead of the Zarya, simply because mobility is going to be so important, that peel potential, but also the nerf to low energy Zarya. Yeah, uh, to add to that, uh, lack of Reaper play as well. The 35% uh, boost that he got to his lifesteal. Uh, really, it was just a 5% buff, right? But not seeing that much Reaper play in. And I think I have to reevaluate really how significant it was. I still firmly believe that it is significant and he's going to receive more playtime at some point when maybe, heck, Diva gets nerfed or we see less. Uh, less diva more zarya where that's where reaper looks strong um, but yeah generally less reaper less moira you don't see these six-man comps the niche becomes more of a counter comp to spam or ball comps and it just gets beaten by the brawl and by the standard dive with the diva right so it does uh, yeah it, it, and it's think... not working very well yeah, Reaper into Diva, obviously not a great matchup, but then when there's a Torb turret just pinging away at you, it's kind of tough. And I think that because of the fact that we've seen Torb and we've seen Brawl, it's very difficult to create these kind of hack windows for Sombra to get value as well. I, again, wouldn't write off teams like Dallas. I think that Dallas still might very well play something around Sombra, just because we know that Doha is a very good Sombra player. But it, it's uh, it's kind of looking like the teams who have traditionally liked to play Brawl are going to lean into Brawl. And unless your execution on the Winston comps is very, very macro clean, it's going to be difficult. So I can understand why teams would opt into Brawl simply for the ease of use. But that being said, some teams didn't actually execute the Brawl very effectively this week. You, we talked about San Francisco earlier, and we talked about the success of Boston utilizing the Brigham comp. But San Francisco actually did it first, and this is part of the reason why I don't think it's going to be the meta comp. They looked really terrible with it. Yeah, what did you think of the Gladiators matchup on King's Row uh, versus Shock, who's playing the uh, Brig Run comp? Well, I definitely think it wasn't optimal. I, I think in general, uh, not just that comp specifically, but the Gladiators not looking like a team, I hate to say it, but they're just like, they seem disorganized even when they're winning. They're mainly winning off the back of their, their carry Kevster uh, and their backline as well. But yeah, just not looking confident or looking confident, but overconfident, really. Uh, and that the hack fist is proof of that. Also, subbing in Mirror a lot. Um, yeah. Well, to be fair, I think Mirror's Doomfist is very good, but I would like to question Gladiator's interpretation on the meta. And I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, to return to the point earlier, Shock tried to play the Brig Ryan. They passed badly, they didn't really set up their protective systems, and then they kind of just got poked out by a comp that, again, on paper is getting counter comp. So, like you said earlier, the execution isn't necessarily there, and I think that if teams are going to run the Brig Run style, it needs a lot of practice, but also that's also partially just why I don't think it's entirely great. But then to return to the subject of Gladiator's Fist, you know, there's a lot of hype. I saw some Reddit comments after the Gladiator's and they were saying, oh my god, can you imagine... Dallas, they've got Sparkle, one of the best Doomfists in the world. This meta was made for Dallas. They're going to play Half-Fist. But personally, I don't actually think Half-Fist is the play. At least, Half-Fist can be a very good comp, and the ceiling for it is one of the highest in the game in terms of macro execution because you have such a team-oriented comp. But I partially think that Gladiators made it wrong. Uh, but also, I just don't think it's necessarily as good as some of the other comps. Um, with the way Gladiators were playing, though, Personally, I don't understand why in some situations they didn't play with something like Ryan Zarya, which really enables that more aggressive style. 
Because when you're running it with the Winston, we kind of operate around, and the operative word is microaggression, right? We greenlight something with a hack or an opportunity to go in. Doomfist uses one cooldown to get in and gets out, you know, stabilize, we heal up, then we go again, right? Whereas if you run something like a Ryan Zarya, you get to stay in for a bit longer, even when your Doomfist is out. And that kind of harkens back to the old element mystic style, which they played during the GOATS meta, when they had Han been on the Zarya Sparkle on the Doom, Doha on the Sombra, and they did very well at the Gauntlet with that team comp. But Cloudy is doing with the Winston. And obviously that's nice, because you can drop off the high ground. It's not necessarily cooldown intensive. But then, of course, we watch the gliders play, and they decide that for some reason they're going to commit jump pack off the high ground. Looking at you, Muse, you fed your brains out this week, and uh, I said that you're a player to watch, but we just watched you feed. Kind of disappointed, <laughs> not going to lie. But also, um, they just kind of stay in the fight. Birdwing Sombra, his EMPs are terrible. His neutral game's great. Uh, I think it's really interesting that he puts translocators in the enemy spawn. It's really creative, and he lives really well. But then he has these terrible EMPs, Gladiators just don't seem to know when a fight's lost. It's like they're taking a page out of Dallas's playbook, but they don't quite have that trust and coordination to back it up where no fight is truly losable. Um, Space has been playing surprisingly well, but he again still looks out of sync with Muse. Um, Mirror's just triple cooldowning to get in. The backline's just praying to the Lord that they live. It's, it's really messy. I, again, think that there's potential for Hackfist, but it's certainly not the way Gladiators are playing it. And again, into that Brawl style that's sort of designed to literally counter Hackfist, at least on paper, it shouldn't be working, right? Um, I think that Gladiators, what they did get away with was the mechanical skill of their DPS line, the Bird Rain, the Mirror, you know, uh, Kevster and all that. But they need to work on it. Depay needs to go into the lab and uh, really clean it up and differentiate the version of Hackfist that is the Winston one versus the Ryan form, and then they need to come back stronger. Because after that defeat to Paris, you know, Patton 10, ex-coach of LA Valiant, you know, old rivalries never died. He was flaming them on Twitter. Uh, yeah, they kind of deserved it. That was an unacceptable loss if you're a team with the caliber and players that Gladiators have. And although they got the win over Chalk, which I certainly didn't predict, I think that's off the back of Chalk playing poorly and not Gladiators playing well. Yeah. So I think that we really need to hope that they improve through the stage if you're a Shields Up fan. Mm. Yeah, just not cycling cooldowns correctly with their comp is just a recipe for disaster. Uh, and their coach, Dipe, has always talked about being aggressive, being the first to act, like forcing your enemy, like being so fast your enemy can't react. But there's a difference between that kind of aggression and then calculated aggression where your enemy's reacting and you end up just feeding. And that's kind of what's happening to gliders right now. Anyways predictions and players to watch let's touch up on the players to watch up for this coming week and it should be pretty exciting because we're going to be able to take a look at the rain uh the houston outlaws and the washington justice who should be three really strong teams probably top of na right now coming into this week I would agree with that. Now, it would be a bit boring of me to mention Dallas players. You know me. On this podcast, I don't want to mention the obvious. You can look at other podcasts for that. I want to look at players who uh, I think you should watch because they could have stand-up performances or will really determine their team's success. And I think it goes without saying that Dallas will be a contender one way or another. So for me, my first player is Bebe on the Washington Justice. And he's their flex support player. And going into the season, a lot of people toted uh, the support line closer in Bebe of the Washington Justice of the weak link. And to be fair, in a team where you've got Fury and Meg on the tank line, you've got freaking Decay on the DPS, it's understandable why you would say that. 
Bebe always looked just kind of eh on Hangzhou back when he played for them previously, but apparently he did really well in trials. And, you know, this season he's looked pretty solid. You know, he looked really good on the Mora in the last week of Stage 2 when Justice recovered from their boom that they suffered in the first week where they took losses to Boston and Paris. And I think that his ability to play at that level, be it the Ana, beat the Mora, whatever it is that Justice is trying to play this week, that's going to be the determining factor of how well they do. Because we know that we can expect Mag and we know we can expect Decay and Fury to show up and play the video game, right? But I think Bebe is that piece that when he shows up, that's what makes Justice that potentially world-beating team. And so I think his performance is going to be really, really important to that roster. And so for that reason, I'm super curious to see how he does. And I think we should pay a lot of attention to just what he can bring to the table in this week's matchups. Now, my other player is Gator. And you might be like, oh, Grim, you know, Atlanta, they just went to Hawaii. They're not a bad team. And to be fair, you're right. But I think they... They aren't quite proven yet. We saw they had a rough stage one. But also the reason I'm saying Gator is because of the fact that this season in the first stage, the May Melee, when Ryan was actually played, we saw him play, and he just sort of looked okay. You know, at one point, Atlanta took San Francisco in the Brawl meta to a map five, but we've talked about the issues with San Francisco as well. And so I'm genuinely curious to see how Gator stacks up against other Ryans in the league. Uh, obviously, we know he likes to play Arissa. It's pretty good. And he... He had the audacity to play Winston against uh, Dallas and put up a real good fight at the last tournament as well. So we've got that, but I think Gator's performance on the rain could be the difference maker for whether or not they are a top team in the stage or just kind of meh, because he brings that vocal IGL quality to the table. And I think in the brawl, if he can continue that sort of strength of calms with Masa on the main support and just playing off of each other, uh, if he stands out, he could be the difference maker for his team, I think, because he has a really, really high ceiling as a player. And for that reason, I think that we just need to see how he does this weekend, because that will really give us a good indication of the possible strength of Atlanta during the course of the summer throwdown. Hmm. Hot picks, hot picks. Bebe and Gator. All right. Um, yeah. I, I, if I have to add anything, Bebe, I feel like, has been generally a consistent performer. Yeah, he's had some lows this season. Uh, same thing with Gator. Um, but now on to my picks for players to watch. And number one, Funny Astro finally made it to Korea. Going to be starting on the Fusion lineup. At least that's what I'm predicting. He should be playing over Toby, I think. They ran the brawl style in the May Melee in the first stage of this season. And yeah, Philly looked really strong. They looked ahead of the meta in some ways. And now with Funny Astro in this lineup, I think they can only get better. Um, strong, strong player, very strong mechanically, one of the top three Lucios, if you count last season, um, between him, FD God, Moth, you know, FD God probably falling a little shorter this season, we'll see what happens, a lot of pressure on that kid, um, but yeah, funny Astro, looking forward to seeing him, I still hope we see Toby, I think Toby's mercy is really good, uh, but yeah, definitely look out for funny Astro in the upcoming matches, and the other one, the other player I'd like to highlight is Jangu and with the whole Houston situation from the um, June Shoust them bringing in Dreamer you know it raises some question marks on Jangu's playtime it seemed to me that Dreamer was supposed to fill in that ball and Winston type role as well as Arisa to a certain extent because they didn't feel confident on Jangu which to some extent, I agree. I just feel like the main tank role is so crucial that you 
you have one starting player for most of it. And uh, Jangu coming in in May Melee in the first stage, looking really good, really strong on Reinhardt, like one of those top Korean Reinhardt players. And uh, we usually don't get to say that because most of them are Winston specialist. Shout out to Mag. Um, but yeah, Jangu, look out for him. Look out for these the brawl meta to start evolving or shifting into that way and seeing how other teams adapt to it. And we might not just see brawl next week, but we could probably see dive as well. Um, now, shall we touch up on the matches of the week or at least what we're Absolutely. predicting? Absolutely. Before we do, I just want to return to your point. I think and I hope that Houston has sort of just figured out their rotation. Towards the end of the stage, when they were playing Mystery Main Tank with Django and Dreamer, it was when they looked the worst and they were struggling the most. So I really hope that they've sort of got uh, those niches solidified for the team, because I think in terms of playing around a consistent main tank, swapping multiple times in a match, we've said it before, I'll say it again now, it isn't great. I hope we see him play. I think he's very mechanically good, and Houston looks very confident with Django on the field, so I'm curious to see that. And then I'll just give a shout to Funny Astro, because the man frags like Lee Gone and lives like Moth. He's like the best of both worlds. Mm. In my opinion, he's the best Lucio player in the world. I'm very excited to see him play. And if he still is uh, testing that top spot, and uh, if he can bring those frags to the table while still playing on a freaking default crosshair. Don't know how he does it, but yeah, the man's just nuts. But yeah, Tricky, what are your matches of the week? Uh, Shall you do yours first? I don't want to pick the same ones. All right, fair enough. Since you went first last week, I'll take a turn. So this week, it's my turn to pick the day one matchups. Everyone is going to be like, oh, well, you know, Dallas, Atlanta, that's great, and stuff like that. That's the matchup that we never, well, we saw it was very close in the last tournament at the Summer Showdown, you know, very, very good matchup. Atlanta actually took a map off of Dallas. People didn't really expect that. But for me, based on current trends, the ones I'm most interested to see the results of are going to be Washington versus Atlanta Rain and Paris Eternal versus San Francisco Shock, at least in the NA region. Um, the reason for Paris versus Shock is just the fact that Paris has been on the upswing while Shock's looked really bad. So I see this as a feasible opportunity for Paris to actually take down the Titans. Uh, and yeah, they're playing the Titans as well, but that should be a comfortable win for them. No, but they should take down the hulking juggernaut that is San Francisco Shock, or at least they should have a chance to do it. I could see this one going the distance. I think it can be very close, you know, sort of the raw mechanical potential Shock versus the actual macro coordination that we've seen from Paris in the last few weeks. And so I think this is going to be really indicative of how the rest of the stage is going to go. Also, because if Shock lose this, their chances of making the May Melee really start to dwindle and diminish. Also, as well, if Paris win, well, even if Paris lose, but they beat Vancouver, they're pretty much guaranteed in. So this is the defining weekend for Paris to get an opportunity to compete for that Hawaii spot. And then Washington versus Atlanta, I think will be interesting because obviously both teams sort of looked a lot better at the end of the season. Atlanta beat Shock. And Washington came back and looked like that heavyweight team. You know, they dominated the second week. They finally realized that if they play Decay, they can win those games. So if they've still figured that out, they can start Decay this week, you know, keep that momentum going. And I really want to see how they stack up against a team like Atlanta Reign. Because personally, I think that Washington is one of those teams, like Philly, who have just, you know, made these small errors that have led to them not quite making the tournament play. But given the right opportunity, they can just come up and beat everyone. Uh, I'm scared of them. I think they're really, really good. I think this match is going to be, again, very, very important since also we've not seen either of these teams play this stage. And unlike Dallas, who's proven themselves consistent, finalists across both stages, um, these teams don't quite have that same pedigree yet. So this will really give us an idea of whether we can continue to expect great things from them across the stage. Mm. And then in APAC, 
I, I really don't need to say much about Seoul versus Shanghai and Philly versus Shanghai. Those games should speak for themselves. We haven't seen Philly versus Shanghai yet, so that'll be fun as well. But I'll let Trey talk probably more about that. All right, so <laughs> you're picking the, the starting matches for Friday. I see you. That That's what I kind of did last week. Didn't work out too hot for me. I'm going to pick up the, the upset matches here, right? So uh, heading into week two, Saturday, we're seeing Houston versus Shock. And I, I'm actually predicting Houston to win this. I don't like where Shock is right now. And based off just like the few matches that I've seen them like play in, I, I really don't trust them that much. If they bounce back this week against Paris and prove to be like be really confident and have a really strong win, then maybe I'll change my prediction. But I'm actually taking Houston. Uh, I'm, I'm actually thinking they're going to take this 3-1 to one pretty confidently. I, I'm very uh, tr trusting into the Jangu here, into the brawl. I think they look, or I think they should look really good. Um, on the other end of that, on Sunday, uh, Justice versus Mayhem. I think there is upset potential there as well, potentially. Now, when you look at Mayhem and their, their starting week, they look pretty, I won't say pretty weak, but they looked to struggle quite a bit. And if they have to bounce back in any of these matches between the Dallas match and the Justice match, I think it has to be the Justice match. Um, because Dallas, they're just too strong. Um, so Justice Mayhem, let's hope it's a banger. Um, I'm hoping Justice take it, but... It, all right, sorry, I'm hoping Mayhem take it, but I think Justice is going to take it, unfortunately. Um, well, even if uh, even if Mayhem do take it and they lose to Dallas, they're still out of the playoffs. It's only <laughs> that's a 1-3 record, so this is the do-or-die week, and it's trial by fire. So mm -hmm. with Checkmate on main tank, I'm not overly optimistic, but I think it could be a cracker of a game. We'll I think see. you're absolutely right. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, now, East, week two. Um, so you chose the Seoul Shanghai and the Philly Shanghai, both Shanghai games. I guess I have to choose the Philly charge and the Seoul charge. Ah, uh, you know, you can you can say the same one as <laughs> me. Right. I think it's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, well, let's be honest, charge, they're not looking that great right now. They haven't made any new signings from from what I've seen, like as as of very recently. Uh, they did make a head coach signing not too too long ago to their former head coach from season two to three. Um, hopefully they'll find some steam and, and be able to show up at some level of competent performance. I just don't trust them. They should get wiped off the board. The good matches, definitely Soul and Dragons or Philly versus Dragons. Excited to see the Dragons coming back into play. I think they're going to look really good. I think they're going to exploit maybe some of the weaknesses that Soul haven't shown yet in the first week of play. Um, because there definitely are some, namely, uh, I think, in those Winston-based comps. Uh, but excited to see maybe even a brawl mirror there, and uh, we'll see about the Philly game. It could go either way. Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said, we haven't seen them play in regular season play. Just that one playoff sport was really close, but Philly looked better in the brawl. I'm curious to see whether Shanghai will take the mirror or kind of stick to that dedicated style where they've got fate on the wrecking ball, but only time will tell. I can't wait to watch the matches. I might even stay up for them, even though I'm in Atlantic Standard Time, and that's a little bit rough, just because I think that's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a great week of matches, listeners. I hope that you guys are as excited as we are to see what the Summer Showdown has in store this week. All right. 
I'm your host, Triggy Zerg, and this is... Uh, and this is your boy, Dr. Grimm. Thanks again for listening to the second episode of Owl Watchers, uh, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Signing off.